Tag Box Talk, and this is Horse Stories with a Purpose. Who are we? We are equine educators, but we are owners. We are judges. We are competitors. We are coaches. We are volunteers. We are moms. We are horse owners just like you, and we want to share our horse stories with a purpose. Welcome to Extension Horses Tech Box Talk Series Horse Stories with a Purpose. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Heine with Oklahoma State University, and I'm delighted to have a returning guest back with us, Dr. Diane McFarlane. Welcome back, Diane. Thank you. Great to be here. So I have to say why I am really, really delighted to have Diane on the podcast because she has left Oklahoma State University. So you probably need to tell everybody what your new position is in the great state of Florida. I have joined the University of Florida Large Animal Clinical Sciences Department at the College of Veterinary Medicine, and I'm the department chair there. So you're kind of a big deal now, right? <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, we certainly miss you here in Oklahoma, but you're doing wonderful things there and at World Equestrian Center and, and doing some great things for the horse community in Florida, which is pretty big and vibrant. Yes, it's a fabulous, fabulous place to be if you're interested in horses and uh, equine veterinary medicine. There's lots of horses in this neck of the woods. So we're going to talk about today old horses um, or geriatric. I don't know how we want to describe that. And you're kind of an expert at aging and some of the biological processes, I guess, that go on. So because haven't you worked not only in horses, but primates and things like that? Yeah, yes, I um, started out with an interest just in aging in horses. And that more or less arose from the fact that I'm interested in endocrine diseases of old horses. But whenever I would study that, I would always have a group of aged horses that would serve as my controls. And I started learning more and more about just what happens when horses age. And from that, I ended up doing some work in uh, normal aging in primates, normal aging in cats, um, et cetera. So yes, it's kind of all the animals have, aging is a fairly conserved process. And so it's very interesting to see what's similar and what's different between the different species. So I'm hoping that while you give us some hints about old horses, you'll also tell us how to age gracefully along the way. Is that part of the plan? Well, this is a podcast, so people don't actually know <laughs> whether I'm aging gracefully or not. I'm just going to assure but, um, them that I, you are. <laughs> <laughs> but I assure you, if I had more secrets about not aging, I would be using them myself. <laughs> <laughs> it's not all just uh, surgery in Hollywood, but um, all right. So let's be, be, we'll be serious here a little bit. So we've had you on the podcast a lot with all the endocrine diseases. Um, so when we always think about old horses, a lot of times we do think about PPID um, and we've talked about metabolic syndrome. So I wanted to stay off of that a little bit and talk more just about geriatric horses in and of itself. So how about this? I'm going to toss you a question. What is the oldest horse that you've ever heard of? Um, old Billy and old Billy was 63 years old when um, old Billy passed. To be honest, I can't remember. I think it's a gelding. Yes, it's a gelding. Um, old Billy was in the 1800s. I believe it was 18... 1860s maybe when old billy passed 
Um, but there are actually pretty good records of birth and death dates. Yeah, I was like, people didn't live that long then. So <laughs> they wouldn't even know, old. right? <laughs> but, but there's really good records. And what's very interesting and so bizarre is we think of smaller animals within a species as living longer. So the ponies always outlive the horses. Well, old Billy was a barge horse, like a draft cross. Hmm. And the, um, but nonetheless, that is the oldest recorded horse. There are paintings of old Billy. If you go on um, Google, you can download some pictures of old Billy. And old Billy's head and skull are both in museums. Really? Taxi head and his skull as well. One's in Manchester, and I can't remember where the other one is. But that's the oldest recorded. Now, if you go to Guinness, more contemporary old horses, the oldest horse is, I believe, either 53 or 54 in contemporary years. That's and the oldest pony's a few years older, like maybe 56. I think the pony's named Sugar Puff and Old Blue is one of the oldest horses. So if they can live to 54, generally, you know, a lot of people think of a horse as being old when they're 15. So that would be like us saying that we're old when we're 30 and it's time to go to the retirement home. Well, the oldest living person's in the 120s. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm not directly, but you know, that's, I mean, about the same, right? So, but like relatively it's perspective. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, we think about somebody that's an old person is hopefully being older than what we think of a, a horse when we qualify them as old. So when are they old or when do they have to be treated differently, I guess? So one thing to remember, I'll, I'll give a number in just a minute, but one thing to remember is just like people, some horses age slowly and look really good for a really long time. And some horses start looking really geriatric fairly early. So there is a lot of genetics to the speed with which you show signs of aging, whether you're a horse or a person. And you all know that person who you go, oh my goodness, you got all the good genes. Look at her. She's, you know, 75 years old out there running agility or running a marathon and looks just fabulous. And then, you know, there I am plugging along, trying to do something, feeling my age every step of the way. So there's definitely genetics to it. But in general, rule of thumb is we think of horses when they are in their 20s as now being older horses. And we want to go ahead then and maybe make a few adjustments to how we manage them. We probably want to make some adjustments as they hit the later teens, 15 to maybe 18. And that's so that we can prevent things that might happen when they age, because it's always better to prevent a problem than allow an older horse to get it. Because the really what happens when you age is you become less resilient, less able to bounce back when you have some sort of an event, be that an infection um, whether that's trauma and you have a wound that needs to heal, uh, whether it's weight loss and you need to put weight back on, whether you have an episode of lameness, anything that happens as an older horse, they're slower to recover. Even non-pathological things, even exercise. So you take an older horse out to exercise, it takes them longer to recover from that exercise than it does the younger horse. So we want to prevent everything that we can prevent. And so you should start thinking about aging when the horses hit the second half of their teens, 
but we don't really think of them as aged until they are into their 20s for the most part. So if you don't mind, give us a little bit of a biology breakdown. What's happening that they just don't recover as well? <laughs> so a lot of things happen. Um, and I don't know that I can put my finger on just one thing, but some of the things that have been suggested to be involved in changes associated with aging include that there's a loss of muscle mass that occurs that's called sarcopenia. And that means that you have less muscle tone to maintain your joints in good control, which puts you at more risk to having uh, um, looser joints that may be more likely to have some degenerative changes associated with it. Your immune system doesn't function as well. There's a change in the population or the type of immune cells that are present. And you have more cells that like to create inflammation and less cells and less function of what's known as adaptive immunity. And so adaptive immunity is what happens when you get a vaccination. It's your ability to recognize something specific and respond appropriately to that pathogen. And so as you get older, you're less effective at adaptive immunity. Therefore, you're more at risk of infections or being more sick when you are exposed. But you have a very strong immune system um, that's involved in inflammation. So you get chronic inflammation um, and many of the diseases of aging are chronic inflammation like arthritis, like COPD or asthma, um, like some of the degenerative diseases. And even cancer is a problem that's associated with some genetics, some environmental exposure and the creation of inflammation that goes unchecked. The other thing that happens in your body over time is that you're born with certain num amount of resources and you use them up over time. So for example, you have cells that turn over and regenerate all throughout our body. Our skin regenerates the collagen underneath its um, uh, kind of part of the system. Your cells in your GI tract regenerate. So over time, you have less of these cells that are regenerating. And so you start getting um, kind of failure or poorly functioning parts of your body because you start using it all up. So is there any way to slow that down and, and kind of keep the body going a little bit better? So if you had a great answer to that, then you would be my friend that was the billionaire that I would hang <laughs> up with. Because is that the that is... Yeah, you fly a rocket to Mars or something. <laughs> right. So, so the cure for aging is the holy grail of gerontology. Um, we would all love to find it, but there are some rules of thumb, some things that can help. And I think most of them we're already aware of, and we can extrapolate some of what we know in um, the human side to our um, equine side. So for example, diet is very important throughout life the amount of things that cause inflammation and cause oxidative stress will cause damage to the cells, especially those ones that turn over a lot, as well as those that don't. So for example, if you're exposed to a lot of toxins, you may lose some neurons and you don't regenerate neurons very easily. And then you may perhaps forget where you put your phone every morning on the way to work. Or if you're a horse, you may forget where the bucket is or get lost in the pasture or show some signs of dementia. Now, horses are very good at maintaining their 
cognitive function pretty late. We will see some uh, dementia and late aging changes, but they're not as susceptible to that as some other things. But certainly they get their share of um, orthopedic problems. So degenerative joint diseases, things like that, which is a combination of both wear and tear on the joints, as well as potentially inflammation, systemic and oxidative stress, and those kind of processes that are kind of systemic or holistic negative processes on our, our physical health. So you don't really think about, I'm and, and maybe I'm comparing too much apples and oranges here with humans and horses. I mean, human diets can be like real bad. <laughs> so, and, and horses don't really eat the amount of ruffles and Doritos that, um, that people do. So what, what would be some of those dietary triggers or are there triggers? Is it more about optimal diet for a horse? I think it's probably more, I like your optimal diet. I think it's probably about that. It is important knowing where you live if your horses are primarily on grass and haze and maybe a small amount of supplements, it is important to know some facts about where you live. There are some very selenium rich areas and some very selenium poor areas um, in the country. And selenium is hugely important in immune function. So I think that would be one thing. Selenium is also important as an antioxidant. And because oxidative stress is part of what can trigger some of these aging changes, we want to be sure they have enough vitamin E which they can get from fresh grass. But if they live someplace where fresh grass isn't available as much, you may need to supplement vitamin E. And there are some very specific diseases that they're at risk of when there's a failure to get enough selenium and vitamin E. But in general, it's also possible, although not proven, that that may accelerate some more low-grade type of inflammatory and oxidative stress diseases. So you're right. They're not nearly as likely to go through McDonald's and and grab a lot of fast food or eat the Pringles and Ruffles um, full of trans fats and those kind of things. But we still can optimize and pay attention to what they're getting from their regular diet and supplement as needed. And for that, I'm going to say no more and say, talk to your nutritionist, Dr. Heine. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, so I, I am going to flip something back at you though. Um, and so maybe you can answer this question, hopefully. So I've definitely seen a, a increase in popularity of doing a lot of serum vitamin E testing. So what are your thoughts on that um, kind of relative to older horses? So um, I think... I don't know how often they come back abnormal. I think it is a test that will is valid. Um, it does measure vitamin E and vitamin E is um, around for a while as a fat soluble. It's not something that will change minute to minute based on diet. And if it is low, you should be putting more in the diet. Um, it's unusual, if not unheard of for it to be too high. Um, there is a limit to how much you should put in the diet, but it's very uncommon that that's problematic. Um, so I think that's fine. I don't know how often it's at, it's it's low in the average horse that's not showing clinical signs or the horse that doesn't live someplace. Um, so I can't really speak for or against it, but it is something somewhat rational. Okay. As part of just maybe a checkup on the older guys. So what is... Um... I guess the biggest mistake that people may make with their older horses, if, if your goal is to keep them going for as long as possible. 
So one of the things that I think keeps them doing better is to keep them in work. So I think maybe backing off their level of exercise to the point where they're not going out very much is not usually beneficial. So keeping a horse in nice, steady work, maybe not as um, quite as vigorous work when they do it. It is important to warm up a horse, just like an, a person. They have lost some of the flexibility of their um, soft tissues. So uh, getting them out and giving them some time to get those muscles warm, those ligaments and tendons stretched before they do their exercise and then cooling them off better. That's very important. Um, you can't say enough about teeth when you're talking about older horses. I think most people know that. But what amazes me is that if when the dental exam is being done, there's not enough attention paid to those back teeth because perhaps the horse isn't relaxed enough or there's not use of a full mouth speculum. It's amazing how many times those teeth are loose in a very old horse mm -hmm. and they're not taken care of. Um, if a tooth is loose in the back, the best thing you can do is get it out of there. And when they're very old, it's not very traumatic because they have very, very short roots. But if it's loose, you can just imagine how much it would hurt to eat if your tooth moved every time. Um, because even if you get a little bit of a very small cavity or something, you know how painful that can be. Well, imagine a loose tooth. So I think having a not only being paying enough attention and doing dental exams and dental care routinely, I think also being sure that it's being done completely is very important. So, so kind of sedation dentistry where the horses, you know, there's not probably very many horses that want you to crank their mouth open while they're awake, right? So typically, yes, you need sedation, but there are, when they get older and if they get used to having their mouth examined, sometimes they will get like, oh, okay, this is that bad. And you can do them without sedation. Most of the horses I know do require sedation, but I know some practitioners who have their practice and they go to the same horses and they say, no, I'm able to get way back there. No, I've never done a study to see if people who don't sedate have more of those loose molars in the horses they've examined. I'm not sure. Um, one thing about the older horses, they may be very quiet and very cooperative and they may have had 20 exams and full speculum so they don't worry but they also may have degenerative joint disease of their temporal mandibular joint where it actually hurts to open their mouth very wide so in that case the sedation is more to relieve pain and relax the muscles to let you in so it's not always just behavior of you know of not wanting to do it that um, will benefit from having sedation it may also be because it will relieve some discomfort from the exam so just out of curiosity, how do they um, diagnose or how would you know that the horse has like TMJ? So you can often tell by their behavior that they might have it. So um, it may be when you're riding them that they have some problems with um, how the bit is, um, uh, perhaps eating. Um, when you go to open the mouth, they may start resenting it. Again, they may be throwing their head more. Sometimes that you would think, oh, they may be sore in their mouth. Typically, you're going to diagnose it either radiographically, um, endoscopically going into the guttural pouch on some cases, and then um, potentially it's something more advanced like a, a CT exam. Gotcha. So can you give us an 
age, like when do horses run out of teeth or is that pretty variable between individual horses? It is variable. I have seen some pretty bad teeth where we've had to pull a lot of them in early 20 year olds and seen reasonable teeth in late 30 year olds. But what you do know is those teeth aren't going to have a whole lot of roots behind them. Um, But if they just are fortunate and haven't had a lot of trauma, um, possibly diet related, I'm not sure that we know a diet that's like the greenies for for dogs that help move the plaque off. Um, But certainly there have been some of these older horses I've examined that have had reasonable teeth left. Now, one of the good things now is we have so many options of how to feed our horses with some of these senior feeds that are extruded, that helps the horse masticate easier. I certainly want wouldn't want to be feeding a lot of oats or something that really takes some grinding in my older horses. But we have those. And then a lot of those can be put into mash with some hot water, which makes it yet again easier. Um, you will notice a lot of the older horses um, will quid where they actually eat the grass and then it falls out um, from their mouth because they just don't have the ability to grind that down and and swallow it. Um, But I'd say that it's very variable, but certainly I've had late 30 year olds that still have a mouth that have reasonable teeth in it. So it's not just assumed that at a certain age, then there's no more teeth and they have to eat mash. No, each horse is going to kind of tell you what they can do. And so signs that they're not able to um, do a good job would be eating slower, not finishing their their feed in time, quitting or that dropping of food out of their mouth. Um, Those would be signs that perhaps you need to look and see if this is one that needs to go on to a full mash. So I, I guess that leads me to another question. Um, and, and this is kind of something that I often try to do with, um, you know, law enforcement and people that have to deal with kind of maybe wellness checks or things like that. Is it normal or just part of the deal for an older horse to be skinny? So one of the things that does occur is a loss of muscle mass. And so you will see older horses typically be thinner than our younger horses. And they can get pretty ribby and they can have an absence of muscle and they can look like and sort of a poorly cared for, um, potentially abused. That's not probably the word I want, but they could look like a, a welfare case. Um, and it may just be age. However, A lot of those horses will have something beyond just age that's causing them to look like that. It may be the teeth, that the teeth need to be taken care of. A lot of those horses are the ones where I go back and they have really loose molars in there and they're not eating very well. It may be the diet they're on. It may be a diet that they really can't pull those nutrients out of because on top of having poor teeth, the older horse does not absorb nutrients from their GI tract as well as the younger horse. And so um, really, I highly recommend switching to a senior feed once the animal's over 20, because those are formulated by people a lot smarter than I am to be sure that the nutrients are optimized for the older horse's GI tract. Other things, parasites. 
Older horses are not necessarily more prone to parasites, but individual horses can have high parasite loads. And um, it is possible that that horse has a concurrent disease that makes them at risk of of having higher parasite loads. And I'll say it very quickly because I'm not allowed to say it, but PPID, the endocrine disease of old (laughs) horses, which I'm not allowed to talk about, makes um, horses immunosuppressed and they can have a whole lot more intestinal parasites and that'll make them thin as well. So there's some really basic, basic horse problems that can occur when they get older that need to be addressed and that can add to having them look very, very thin. And certainly there's a lot of diseases just like in people that occur when you're older. So it can be that they have a cancer or a longstanding infection or some underlying disease that is taking its toll or just really bad GI tract that's a function of aging that they're not absorbing very well. So it may not be anything that the owner's doing. It may be just the biology of getting older that causes them to look like they are a neglect case that needs intervention. So, well, maybe that's a loaded question. How do you know then if they're losing weight in an older horse? When is when is it acceptable, right, for them to be a little thin? What's that line between you say, oh, he's just older and oh, maybe it's not okay? So two things here. One is you really want to have an idea of what degree of being skinny that we're talking about. So on a body condition score of one to nine, that's typically used. We think of four as being the healthy athletic horse five still being okay but for some breeds that might be a little bit heavier than we would want them if they're doing a lot of um work three is the thin horse i wouldn't really want the horses to be below three one and two are really overly thin even for an old horse now i would not jump to the conclusion that any of these horses are being neglected you need to get a very good history to find out there may be an underlying problem. That problem may not be able to be helped by anything we can do. It may be that again, like the horse has some sort of chronic disease and this is more or less the end of its life. And that's why it's so thin, but it may be something to do with how they're feeding. Um, Has it had a fecal done recently? Have the teeth been checked recently? These are the kind of things I would ask because a lot of people are doing a great job at providing feed. They just may be missing something that that horse needs to help it Mm -hmm. do better. And I mean, I always, when I talk about these kind of decisions, like horses live so long, like if you've had that one horse for a long time, he's really, really kind of part of your family. And those are pretty hard decisions to make. So anytime I talk about old horses, I, at the very end, try to talk a little bit about euthanasia. Are we there? I don't know. What time is it? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I I don't want to get there. Killing a map. All right. So we won't get there yet. (laughs) Um, All right. So I think it is important to talk about it. Okay. We will get there. So I wanted to go back um, because you were talking about exercise. as being important because maybe joints and tendons get a little, well, not the the tendons and ligaments that support the joints may get a little lax and need some help from, from muscle. Like, so in humans, um, and again, I know it's hard to extrapolate quite so much, 
but that's considered like a good thing if we can actually um, help do lightweight training and things like that with with older people. So what are the appropriate type of things to do with a horse to keep them going, keep that motion, keep that exercise that will help them out? So it really depends a little bit on the horse, the use of the horse and the level of fitness and whether you want them to perform still. And I don't have any of my, usually when I'm speaking about older horses, I have some slides and one of them tells me what percent of horses over 20 are still in work, but I believe it's 50%. But don't fire me if I've gotten my number wrong, because <laughs> that's off the top of my head. But I think more than half of the horses that are 20 are still working in some capacity. So I'll just throw that out. Um, I think, um, and the evidence shows that it does not need to be strenuous type exercise. Now we don't typically think of horses going out and lifting weights or using their uh, BOSU balls or any of that. But what they can do is, a lot of walking and hill work. If you live any place where you can get them on hills, that is probably the best muscle building type exercise we can do. Certainly there's low impact things. Swimming a horse can be very effective for um, uh, more overall endurance type training, more than muscle type training. Um, but I think the best thing is getting them out and doing some hill work. And even in people, they say walking at a brisk rate is about the most fabulous thing you can do for exercise. And so the same thing's true with, with horses. And so it doesn't need to be anything fancy and it doesn't need to be a huge length of time, but getting out and if you can hit some hills, getting them to drive and use all those muscles, uh, that's really what I recommend. Now, beyond that, it starts getting into um, a rehab field that's going to also be a little bit beyond my expertise, but... But, you know, I've also even heard, you know, with the older horses, sometimes we tend to be like, okay, you're retired or there's this younger generation or show crop that you're dealing with. Because a lot of, you know, those heavy performance events do deal with younger horses and those older ones get maybe pushed to the side a little bit. Are you really doing them a, a service if you're like, okay, you're retired and, and you do nothing now? I think they age faster when you do that. One of the things you can do is you can try to use those horses in um, some of your training program for the younger horses. So you can pony your younger horses from your old horse or use your younger horse to pony your older horse. So try to um, get the two of them involved in exercise. Uh, use the older horse. The older horses have the most training on them and the most money invested. So there are jobs that they're going to be better at. Get your younger riders up on those older horses when you can. Um, if you don't have the time and you don't have the right personnel, leasing them to somebody that you can be sure is actually doing a good job of taking care of them so they get out and get exercise. But really, truly, um, keeping in work and keeping in exercise is really important for the physical slowing of the aging process as well as the mental process. And that's true in um, people as well. You know, if right, you say, well, now I'm retired, I'm going to sit in my chair and do nothing. Right. And you're not going to do as well as if you keep moving and, and keep doing things. Yeah. I always hear these horror stories of like with people when they retire and do nothing, then they just die. <laughs> <So>. Right. <laughs> right. 
But I mean, so, I think that's that's a big thing for that. We forget that horses, you know, that mental stimulation, if you just live in your paddock and just stare around at the blank, nothing like that's not very enriching for them. Yeah. And so I don't think it needs to be complicated or heavy duty performance. And But like I said, take them along when you go for a ride take them out for a ride, um, you know, just outside of their pasture, a nice trail ride, you know, um, try to think of ways to get them out and keeping them involved. Now, I don't remember the name of the rider or the horse, but one of the horses in endurance that had a record for the number, most number of miles in endurance retired at 35. He, He ran his last think he ran his last Tevis. It was definitely his last hundred mile race in his thirties. Oh, wow. Now that's good genetics, (laughs) but it's also good management, excellent management to keep the horse going that well. So it doesn't, maybe your horse won't be as fast at a sprint, but your horse may be very good at the slower, more steady paced things. So I often hear, and I think you'd, you'd kind of talk about those older horses have the most training. They have the most miles on them. Often they're a little bit steady or because steady Eddie, because they've seen the world and they're maybe not as reactive as some of the younger horses, but a lot of people will be like, Oh, you know, if he's over 15, I'm going to pass him by. So from what you're saying, 15 really isn't a, a limit to what that horse can do. So if you're talking passing by as in buying a new horse, I think you do have to recognize um, that any horse that you buy that's mature, and I would say even over 10, is not going to be perfect anymore. So you start doing your pre-purchase radiographs. You're going to find things on those radiographs. They're going to have some wear and tear on them. And depending on what you're buying the horse for, and what your level of experience is or your level of ex- expectation is, I think you can find that you can really do well to pick a horse that's got some maturity and some training on it. If what, you know, obviously, if you're looking for a cutting futurity horse, you're not going to go this route. He's but if you're looking for a good, solid performance horse for you and and you're perhaps like me, somebody who is not looking to go out and do any kind of heavy duty riding, or you're looking to show at a lower level or even a higher level, but maybe not for as many years, you can have many years left on a horse. Now it may be at 15 that that horse is up for sale because it does have some problems that really are prohibitive. So I would say on any horse that you need to have a very good pre-purchase done, but don't go into the pre-purchase pre-purchase of an older horse with the expectation that you will find nothing because you will find things. And then you just need to balance. Are those things too scary to go forward or are they things that you think you can work with? Right. And a lot of those are manageable, right? So, you know, maybe a little bit of extra, you know, pain relief now and then special shoes, et cetera. You may be able to keep them going pretty well. And you mentioned shoes and I haven't said it yet, but that's probably the other piece of having the horse that is older, stay f- happy and fit. And that's good um, fairy care because you can do a lot to help a horse keep from being sore in their joints by having their feet well trimmed, having nice breakover um, and, and doing good care. No, you know, no feet, no horse. 
And so I think that's the other thing to always talk about when you talk about horses, um, you know, teeth are important, weight is important, how you feed them is important, how you exercise them is important, and how you take care of their feet. So you're saying it's all important. Well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe if you brush their tail, that we can throw off the list. <laughs> that makes them look pretty. <laughs> <laughs> now we like them and then we're nicer to them. <laughs> okay, I think I'm ready. Are you going to make anybody cry with this discussion? I hope not. Okay, that's your goal. <laughs> <laughs> no promises. <laughs> All right. No, so I just... No, I just think it's important um, <clears throat> that as you talk about or you think about geriatric horse care, that at the you are always going to end up at the same place. At some point in time, an older horse is going to pass, either on its own or because we decide the time has come and the best thing we can do for the horse is to go ahead and have it euthanized by our veterinarian. And so... What I try to encourage people to do is not wait until the time when you need to make the decision to think about it. Because when you are under that stress and under that pressure and very, very sad and upset because your companion of 30 years now, you have to make this decision um, to put them to sleep. That's not when you need to think about logistics of euthanasia. And anyone who has ever had a horse euthanized or been there when a horse is euthanized realizes that it's a little bit more involved maybe than if you have your kitty cat euthanized because it is a very large animal. We give it the drugs typically when it's standing. There's the visual aspect of having it euthanized. And then you have your animal that you now need to dispose of a body. And so I highly encourage people to have a plan. That plan should involve when the time comes, if it's possible, are there people you want to have come say goodbye? Many of my friends are older and their children had very long relationships with the horses and would be very upset if they found out that their, their um, pony club pony was put to sleep and they didn't know it while they were gone. So there may be people that want to come say goodbye if it's possible. With some reasons that you may put a horse down, it can be possible to do a little hospice care where you basically give them a level of pain relief that's not sustainable, but may make them feel better for a few days so that everybody can have a little bit of quality time together before you put them down. It's very important that people recognize it's only temporary, that just because they look really good again and they're happy, that you can't continue that level of medication, that you've given something that is basically toxic for a short term so that they can uh, be more comfortable it's important to think about who's going to be present when the horse is actually euthanized. And when I do this for a client, I really encourage them to give their horses the hugs and kisses and, and chat with them and then walk around the barn while I actually euthanize the horse and then come back when the horse is down and has passed. Because I don't want the last visual in somebody's head their horse crashing to the ground after it's received the euthanasia solution. 
It's it's not visually, sometimes it's fine, but it can be fairly dramatic. And then you need to have a conversation with your vet as to what you're going to do after you've euthanized your horse. Are you going to bury it? Is it going to be picked up? What are the laws as to what you're allowed to do? If it's going to be taken away, is there something you want to retain, like a piece of tail, mane, forelock, something to that effect? Are there before you euthanize the animal, are there pictures that need to be taken? Is there insurance to be very practical? Is there insurance that you need to contact somebody before you make this decision? So these are all the conversations I think are much better had when your horse is still healthy and happy, rather than when you're starting to get stressed because the decision is upon you. Yeah. And I've, I try to do those educational um, seminars here in Oklahoma. And that's really important for people to know that every state has different rules about where you can bury, who can go to a landfill, who can go to a render. Like you have to know your state law. And even though that seems like grim and like, oh, I don't want to think about that. That's so important to, again, have that thought about before you have that emotional time. And you need to have the conversation with the veterinarian. I'll give you an example of something that happened to me. Um, I had a client, I think it was when I was in South Carolina and she was going to need to euthanize her horse. And so she said, I know I'm allowed to bury it on the property I've checked. And so I'm, I've decided where I want to bury it. And I said, okay, that's great. And we made a time and she visited with her horse and everybody got ready and said goodbye. So all of that went well. Well, I got out there and they had dug this hole and they expected me to walk with the horse into the hole, <laughs> euthanize it in the hole. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> That's pretty life threatening for your veterinarian to be in a tiny hole with a thousand pound horse. That's going to crash down after you give the euthanasia solution. I said, I appreciate your, your planning, but you didn't involve me in it. And I'm going to have to veto one part of this. So we adapted it and made it safe and, and did a different plan that I was comfortable with. But so you might want to think about it, but also have a conversation with your veterinarian because your thoughts may either be incompatible with what you're allowed to do. You may be thinking that you've got this perfect site up on a hill, you're going to bury your horse and it may not be allowed in the state or the county you live in, or you may have this perfect vision of your horse walking into a spot and being euthanized. Um, and then you realize your veterinarian's not willing to go into a hole in the ground. <laughs> a this. grave. You were asked to go into <laughs> <Exactly>. a grave. <laughs> I, I, I was very, very restrained. And I didn't say, you're kidding me. You want me to go down there? <laughs> I was very restrained because I knew that it was it was not an easy time for them. So we I was able to come up with a plan that they were comfortable with. But it would have been easier if it wasn't the day yeah. and the hour that we were planning to euthanize the horse. Because it's very hard to think logically and calmly when when you're that sad and upset. So mm. and I get that. So that's why it's very good. And I'm glad that you're educating. Um, client owners to all of that. But I think it is something much easier to think about when you're calm and it doesn't seem eminent or, um, you know, coming anytime in the near future than um, to do that discussion and thought process. Yeah. So I'm going to give a shout out to all my fellow extension people across the country. Um, contact your county extension educator um, or agent because they will have that information for you 
there's some details that you guys may not even know about, like soil type and again, state law over distance from water and things like that. So it's really, really important if if burial is part of your plan, that that is acceptable. Um, and there's also great information out there. I'm going to give a shout out to my colleagues that do a lot of work with equine composting. I know that sounds like ooey gooey and gross, but I always try to promote that because it, you know, it's actually easier to do than burial. There's less laws. Plus then you have something left over that I always think you can commemorate them and then put that like with a rose bush or do some garden where you've, you've added that horse back and then you have them forever. And, and I might just add one more thing that I kept talking about euthanasia, but euthanasia isn't always by drug. And I just want to say that there, it can be, um, a horse can be very humanely euthanized through either captive vault or somebody who knows what they're doing with um, shooting a horse. But if you don't know what you're doing, you have no business doing it because if you do it wrong, it's quite inhumane. So I just wanted to clarify that I have always euthanized horses using drugs and that's fine, but there are other ways to do it that are equally humane and pain-free for the horse. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we, yeah. we used to do um via captive bolt. And again, it had somebody that was trained. It wasn't just, you know, right. some random person down the street, but it was somebody that knew how to do captive bolt and we had them sedated. Um, so it was very peaceful for the horse as well. They were not stressed or anything like that. And it, it was, um, a really quick, very, very humane way for the horse to pass. Um, and for us, it just had the added benefit. There weren't any of those drugs that you had to worry about, like, Oh, if anybody got into it, this could be a bad deal. So, um, yeah, I would say if your veterinarian, you know, suggests or, or wants to do something like that, it, it is a very, very humane way, uh, to handle the horse. But again, you may, as the owner, maybe not, you may want to walk away or turn around and turn back around because they're going to drop very, very fast because it is very humane and it is very effective and fast. So, yep. Yep. Not for everybody, but again, just an, an option that's, that's out there. So, well, okay, now you got to uplift us again. So we've w- gone down to the dark side. Give us some happy thoughts here at the end so we don't be like, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I just think that it's important to remember that. Oops, sorry, a little background noise for us. I have a singing puppy in the back. My apologies. I think it is important to remember that just because our horses that have hit the ripe age of 20 doesn't mean they don't have 20 more years left in them. And if we do some just basic management, not expensive treatments per se, but some basic management, we can really do them some benefit. There probably are some supplements that are of use that may help, such as antioxidants and things such as that. We don't have a ton of evidence of anything that promotes longevity in people or horses, but some good rational things, avoiding things that may be um, toxic or or create inflammation and oxidative stress. Those things might be avoided. Antioxidants, good diet, exercise, good care of feet and teeth. All of those things are going to promote healthy aging. We didn't really get into it, but it is important to keep your old horses vaccinated just as you do your younger horses, they respond well to vaccination and they may be a little slower to recover if they get sick, like we talked about. 
So I think you can really do um, great things with older horses. They're well, they're often well-trained. They can be really great additions. So I guess my little plug is don't forget the old one out there. Um, They've got a lot left to give. And um, I think that it's a, it's a great area to work in. And um, I, I love when I have my older horse herd at Oklahoma State. They were really awesome to go out and hang out with. They're, uh, they were a lot of fun and uh, a lot of good stuff can happen with the older horses. So go and older. Older, older people don't rule us out either. <laughs> <laughs> no, I will say older ponies are not much different than younger ponies. So <laughs> if you don't have a taste for ponies. It may not get better when they get older. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> they will be as feisty as ever. <laughs> exactly. Does that include terriers as well? Terriers and ponies go together. But you're a <laughs> pony owner now, aren't you? I Yes, I have two little ponies that are keeping my retired horse um, company. And so we've been getting a kick out of that the little um, pony that he isn't weaned yet. So he's just a little guy. But he just he's decided and for everybody that you're not going to get the visual on this. But the little little guy pony has decided he doesn't really like his mama that much. And he just follows around my big older gelding. But the funny thing is, he's always right behind him. He's completely using his tail to keep the bugs off 24 seven. So Vincey has this tiny little shadow, this little horse that is always just standing under his tail. And it just cracks me up. <laughs> Oh, I need some ponies. <laughs> I'll send you some. <laughs> well, um, certainly appreciate your time. Um, and definitely miss you here in Oklahoma. So all the listeners probably uh, don't know how much, but it's okay. Um, you're doing great <laughs> things in Florida and uh, looking forward to everything that you and your colleagues there do to help promote the the horse and horse health. And anytime you want to come back to our little podcast, we'd be more than welcome to have you. Well, thank you. My guest house, my guest room is always open as well. <laughs> there you go. All right. We'll be there soon. <laughs> a few hours. Our, yeah, that's a bit of a drive, but all right. Thank you so much. And this has been another episode of our Attack Box Talk, Horse Stories with a Purpose. <laughs>